am Melanie Hayes. I've been at Mansfield Bible for about eight years. Um, I will be reading to you from Mark chapter 1. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. They found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. And this is why I came out. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. For some in our church family, uh, they're still traveling. So we need to continue to keep them up and lift them up in prayer as they travel. Uh, one of the things as we think about this time of year is it's a good time to recharge and refresh for many. Now, for those of you who are doing all the cooking, not much a time of recharging and refreshing, is it? But, uh, but it is a time where we get a chance to get out of our normal routines and get family together and, and just kind of be. So we need those times where we just be, where we're just the people that, uh, that take some time to recharge, refresh, restore. And unfortunately, so many of us do not take time to do those things. It's one of my weaknesses. I know that, that uh, I love what I do and I go after it with a passion and it's hard for me to take breaks from it. And yet, Scripture encourages that. We know that uh, in the Ten Commandments, one of the commandments was to honor the Sabbath, right? To take time. And Jesus, when talking about that, said, you got this kind of all wrong. You think that... Uh, uh, Man was made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. It, Sabbath was made for us. That it's one of the things that God created that he could decreed that we would do. That we would take time for rest. And he knew that they wouldn't do it in early Israel, and so he commanded it. In the New Testament, we see that, that he wants us to take time, but it's not, uh, uh, the, uh, it's not commanded like it is in the Old Testament for us. And yet we still need that time. We still need that time to take away and take aside. And we see Jesus doing this here in our passage this morning in, in Mark 1.35. It says, and rising very early in the morning. And so we see him taking this time just to get away, to get apart, to be, to relax. I remember in uh, a book I read years ago by Tim Hansel called When I Relax, I Feel Guilty. He talks about this issue of taking time to rest, taking this time aside. And, and he encouraged that we take many, many vacations, M-I-N-I, vacations, that throughout a week, throughout a month. And he and encouraged us to take many of those. You've heard me talk about that before. But there was another book that I read that was talking about, uh, uh, it, it was a title of it was The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, uh, and that guy, I, I don't agree with his theology, but, but the book has some very powerful lessons and very powerful images. And one of them in his seventh chapter, The Seventh Habit, was sharpening the saw. And so he has this idea, this picture of some guy that, that saw in a way and his saw is dull. And he's sawing away and he's not making much headway. And somebody comes up to him and says, you know, maybe you should sharpen the saw. And he says, I don't have time to sharpen the saw. I got all this work to do. And you look at a guy like that and kind of go, no, you need to listen to this guy. 
If you would take time and stop and just sharpen the saw, you would get this done in half the time. And it would be a lot more productive, a lot more effective. You would feel more successful. And yet we're the guy with the saw. We're the person with the saw and we're sawing away at life. We're trying to work and we, we just think, I, don't, I have all this stuff to do. I don't have time to stop. I don't have time to rest. And it's like, so we're operating at about 30%. And if we just take that time to rest and to stop and do exactly what God encourages us to do, then we would be more effective in our lives. And we see Jesus doing this. And, and we see him in this passage doing this. And the thing that's important as we look at this is to realize that this wasn't just a simple, easy time for him. This was a very busy time for him. And in fact, if you look at the passage, the very first word there is, says, and. And rising very early. And we usually skip over the and. The and's really important here. It's a connective. It connects us back to what went before. And what does he do before? We see in verses 29 uh, to 34, he's healing folks. It says, immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And so, uh, and Simon's mother uh, lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her and she began to serve him. And so you think, oh wow, that happened. But then... That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed. And you think, what is, it, where, is this all the same day? It sure seems like it. And in fact, in verse 29, there's another and. And so it points a little further back in the passage. And so you go back to the previous paragraph in verse 21, which begins that paragraph. It says, and they went into Capernaum. and say, okay, it's, now it's another connector. And that connector goes back into verses 16 to 20 into that paragraph. So what's going on there? Well, the Simon and his brother Andrew are fishing and James and John are fishing. So it must not still be the Sabbath. It must be the day before the Sabbath at least, maybe Friday. And Jesus is calling his disciples. We see him say, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed. So this was an important time. He's beginning to choose his disciples. And then it says, and then they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath they entered the synagogue and was teaching. Now, something you need to understand about the Sabbath is the Sabbath actually started on Friday night at sundown and ends at Saturday night on, at sundown. That's the Sabbath. That was their day. Our day, we usually start uh, in the morning and go to the next morning, but their day started in the evening and went to the next evening. So we, it kind of throws us off when we're looking at this. So if he was with the disciples, they were fishing before the sun went down. And I was wondering, sometimes you see a lot of Jewish synagogues and stuff, they'll have their service on Friday night in our day. But apparently they were doing it on Saturday morning in their day because uh, uh, when you begin to follow this, this, this thread here, it's, uh, uh, it seems to start on Saturday morning. It says, and they went to Capernaum, verse 21, Immediately they sent into the synagogue and he was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them not as one who had authority or as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And so 
one of the things you know about teaching, if you've ever taught before, and many of you have, you've done homeschooling, uh, that's a lot of work. You've taught in the public schools and private schools. You've done teaching in the university level or whatever. When you're involved in teaching, you lay yourself out there and, and you're opening yourself to criticism about a position that you take or about the way that you communicate or all these different things. And, and you have people that are uh, even arguing or dialoguing with you. And so you find yourself as a teacher when you're done you're tired, you're exhausted, just through the simple act of teaching. I know I feel that on a Sunday afternoon. I love taking a nap on a Sunday afternoon uh, because uh, uh, I've, I've laid myself out on a Sunday morning. I've given everything I've got. And, I, and, 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 and when you're doing spiritual teaching, if you're teaching a Sunday school class or you're having a conversation, you find yourself even more exhausted because now you're involved in spiritual warfare as well. And so you can imagine that Jesus was probably exhausted uh, after teaching, but something happened during the service. It says, immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. Can you imagine if during this service somebody just stood up, buckles, I know who you are, and you're not the Holy One of God either. You know, that was Jesus. And I mean, can you imagine some, I mean, all of a sudden, awkward city, right? What do you do as the teacher? And all of a sudden, you got to respond. And Jesus doesn't back off. He doesn't back down. He knows what's going on. In this case, the guy had a demon. And so he casts out this demon. And so not only did he, was, did he have energy go out from just teaching, just that sheer act, he has that going on. And then in verse 29, it says, immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew. Now, you've got to understand something, the connection to these places. It gives these different locations. Um, the distance between uh, when, when Simon and those guys were fishing uh, and Capernaum, it says, and then they went into Capernaum. Well, that wasn't like a long journey. Uh, uh, if, if you were to go with me in June, you would see this distance but uh the uh the distance uh, it's uh, the Capernaum is on the Sea of Galilee it's on the sh it's right up, uh, off of the shoreline probably was part of the ancient shoreline and so it's basically they're on the beach they turn and they take a couple of steps and you're in Capernaum and so it's not a long distance and then when you think about the distance between Peter's house and the synagogue, it was not a long distance either. Maybe from here to the front of our, the building of our church, the front of this building where the offices are. It's only about that far away. And, and today, uh, uh, you can still see where Peter's house was because there's one room of it left. Uh, there was a, uh, probably a third century basilica built around it, an eight-sided figure. You see this eight-sided figure around this one room. You know, this room was important. It was a place of worship during the Byzantine era. And so tradition has it that that was Peter's house or, or where his house was not far off the shore of the Sea of Galilee, between the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee and the synagogue. The synagogue was, uh, uh, in fact, the first century synagogue foundation is still there. It's, it was made out of a black volcanic rock called basalt, and it's still there. And on top of it, in the third century, they built another synagogue that is a light-colored. And so you can kind of see, get an idea of what the synagogue must have looked like in Jesus' day. But you also realize it's not a far not that far away. And so he 
preaches and teaches in the synagogue. He casts out this demon and, and he's tired. He comes to Peter's house probably to get some rest. And instead of rest, his mother-in-law or, or Peter's mother-in-law is sick. It says immediately he left the synagogue and entered this house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. And that's what happens whenever Jesus does something in our lives. We want to serve him. When, when, when Jesus saved me back in 1972, I, 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 all I've wanted to do ever since then is to serve him. And that just is what happens whenever Jesus uh, rescues us, when Jesus saves us, when Jesus changes us, when we realize the value of what he's done in our lives. It causes us to want to serve, and that's what she did. But here, all of a sudden, he's not just coming and resting. He's doing more. And then that evening, verse 32, the evening, that evening at sundown. Now, remember when their Sabbath ends? At sundown, that's why I think that all of this happened on Saturday and why the service happened Saturday morning. That evening at sundown, they brought, and the word brought there carries the idea and kept on bringing. Not just brought in one fell swoop, but they kept on bringing to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city, which is probably uh, at least a little bit of hyperbole, but I'm sure most of them were there. The whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. The whole city is there. He's healing as they keep bringing him people. I don't know if you watched that uh, episode of The Chosen, uh, uh, the story uh, uh, the, uh, about Jesus' life and ministry, a great series if you haven't ever watched it. And they have this one scene where he's healing uh, uh, just this line of people standing in a line coming in. And at the end of the day, it shows him just completely exhausted. And I would imagine that's where, what he was like on this day. Completely exhausted, going late into the night because people were continuing to come and they were continuing to come. We know that uh, later in Mark, he talks about the uh, energy that it took from him to be able to just do the process of healing. Uh, we see in chapter 5 of Mark where he healed, uh, heals a woman who had had a, uh, a problem for years, for 12 years, and the, the physicians weren't able to figure it out. And so she, she decided, if I just touch the hem of his garment, if I just touch the hem, I'll be healed. And she touched the hem. And now all this crowd is around him. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus stops. And the disciples are like, what's going on? He says, somebody touched me. I imagine they looked at each other, no, duh. You got people crowding around you. What do you mean somebody touched you? No, somebody touched me differently than just this crowd pressing around. And the reason he knew, it says in Jesus, verse 30, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? So power goes out from him. Energy comes out from him in some sense. And so I would imagine that this long day that he spent, nobody would have blamed Jesus for sleeping in on that morning. Nobody would have blamed him for taking a little extra time that morning. And yet he knew that he needed something more, that he needed this, this time with the Father. 
and that it wasn't something that he blew off. And, and what happens to us is we get involved in these very busy days in our lives and we think, gosh, I need to cut somewhere. I need, to, I need some, uh, a break. And so what do we cut? We typically cut our time with the Lord. We'll cut our quiet time, our daily time with the Lord. And, and, and that will be the thing that we set aside rather than building and, and, and realizing, no, that's the time I most need the Lord. That's the time I most need him. It's just like if we were to say, uh, uh, you know, I don't need my time at the gym today. And then the next day, well, I don't need my time at the gym today. And, and pretty soon we're never going to the gym anymore. We just drive by it, kind of like my membership. You know, I drove by Lifetime Fitness all these years, and I look by and say, man, I pay this money every month. Why am I not in better shape? You know, well, you got to stop in and, and actually work out, right? Well, it's the same way in our relationship with the Lord is, is, is if I'm always walking by my Bible and I'm always walking and saying, man, one of these days I'm going to get to that. I don't know if you read the little book, My Heart Christ's Home. I would encourage you to read it. It's just a little pamphlet. I'm sure you can get it free online and just read it. My heart, Christ's home. And it talks about the living room as this place where he went and he would go and the fire would be going and he would spend this time with the Lord and, and uh, uh, pretty soon he started getting busy and he started walking down the hallway and he'd look in and, and see that it, you know, oh yeah, I need to get to that. And then one day he looks in and sees the Lord sitting there and he goes, you're still here. And he goes, yeah, I've been waiting for you. You know, I, I enjoy these times that we have together. And I realized, you know, that's what we do. We get busy with life and we get busy. And when we think about this relationship with the Lord and drawing near to him and he will draw near to us, it should be something that draws us, right? And I was thinking about the passage in Psalm uh, 1611. It says, in your presence is fullness of joy. And we think about that in terms of, yeah, one day that will happen. No, in your presence now is fullness of joy. I mean, that, the songwriter isn't necessarily thinking just in the by and by. He's not just thinking when we get to heaven. In your presence is fullness of joy. And see, we think of this quiet time thing as this time of, oh yeah, I need to do this, or I should do this, or it's my obligation to do this. And we think of it in those terms rather than, no, I can't wait to be with the Lord. Because in his presence is fullness of joy. That's where my joy comes from. That's where my peace comes from. That's where everything that I need comes from is that time with him. I remember when I first came to Christ, I was, uh, uh, I, di I didn't know anything. I didn't know about quiet times. I didn't know about these daily times with the Lord. That wasn't the tradition I was brought up with. Uh, we just showed up at church and that was it. And, and I didn't know the Lord. I didn't come to Christ in the tradition I grew up in. And, and so when I first came to Christ, when I first received Christ as my Savior, the first time I understood that I needed to do something, I needed to believe. That was all I needed to do. It wasn't what I thought before that I need to be this good person. No, that, that comes. That's what God does in my life. He creates that. I take the step of faith and put my faith in Jesus who died for me and rose from the grave. And that's all it is. That's all I need to do. 
And I didn't know that. And when I finally realized that salvation was a free gift in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast. And I realized that day it's not about me. It's not about my works. It's not about being good. It's about believing and receiving the free gift. And when I did that, it changed me. I've never been the same. I've always wanted this time with the Lord. I've always longed for it. When I, when I don't do it, I miss it. And, and from the first day after I came to Christ, I had, a, had, I had the blessing of having somebody mentor me in, in, in the faith and help me to understand just a simple, quiet time. And so I, I took my Bible and, and, uh, with me because he said, meet me at the fountain uh, we'll, uh, and bring your Bible. And, 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 uh, uh, and he had a songbook. And, and, and so we opened to a passage, and it might have been this one. I don't remember now which passage we went to. And we read the one verse, and then we talked about it a little bit. What do you see in this verse? And then and he said, that's what you want to do. You kind of want to think through the verse, meditate, it on, meditate on it. And then we sang uh, a song. And it was just a simple chorus from a hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I didn't know that one. And so he taught me that song. And so I sang and I, I did this and then we prayed. And so then every day after that for the next several years as I was a student at the University of Texas, I went to that fountain. And, uh, uh, and, I, and, I, and, and I just enjoyed being around that fountain. Even on a cold morning, I'd just kind of bundle up a little more and get my Bible and go out. And, and I would just read a passage of scripture and I looked forward to that. I began to, to, my heart began to long for that. And it's those habits that you begin to de develop, that, that time with the Lord. And, and not every time you're going to go, you're going to feel this great feeling. There's times where you wake up and you just feel flat. You don't feel anything. You've had a long day. You've struggled. You've, something's gone on. And you just don't feel anything. You need to go with those times too. You need to spend that time with the Lord on those days too. Because it's on those days that you need to get your heart right. I still remember what Bill Bright said when he talked about prayer. He says, he says I need to pray when I'm in the praying mood because I'd hate to waste such a great opportunity. <laughs> he says, I need to pray when I'm not in the praying mood. So he says, because it would be a shame to remain in such a condition. And so it's those times that we're flat. Those are the times we need it most. When we don't feel like it, that's when we need it the most. We need that time of recharging and restoring that God has for us. And so he desires that for us. Um, I remember uh, when I was a young believer, I, I read a series of books by E.M. Bounds. The one that, I, that stands out to me was Power Through Prayer, but he had this whole series of them. He was a, uh, a, a chaplain uh, during the Civil War, and, and he, he had all these... One of the things that he did in Power Through Prayer is he just looked at different lives of different uh, godly people and said, here's, here's how uh, John Wesley uh, uh, prayed, or here's how, and he just gave this, you know, and he talked about these different people and these quotes that they had about their perspectives on prayer. This is one of the statements that he had about prayer. He says, the men who have done the most for God in this world have been early on their knees. He who fritters away the early morning, its opportunity and freshness in other pursuits than seeking God will make poor headway seeking him the rest of the day. If God is not first in our thoughts and efforts in the morning, he will be in the last place the remainder of the day. Wow. That's convicting, isn't it? But one of the things that I thought about was, well, not everybody's a morning person. 
So what's with that? What do you do with that? And so I began to look in scripture about morning prayer and evening prayer. In fact, I think it's important for us to understand when we look at a passage of scripture, it's so important for us to not only do the study itself, but we need to do correlation. It's a part of the Bible study process that we don't typically do. We do observation, interpretation, application, but correlation is an important part of the process. What it means is, as I look at other passages to see, are they saying the same thing? So is it only in the morning? Is, I, is, is uh, E.M. Bounds right that, I, that that's the most important time of the day? Well, it's certainly important that I talk to the Lord early in the morning when I get up. But it doesn't necessarily mean that I need to have that longer devotional time at that time. And in fact, there's a series of verses. And so I'm, uh, if we'll go ahead and put the first one up that I have in the series. Uh, and then I'm just going to have you, you know, click through here in a minute. But I'll tell you when to change them. Morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. And so I love that in Isaiah where he's, God awakens our, our hearts. There's times where I'll wake up in the middle of the night. I'll wake up at three or four in the morning and I feel like I need to pray. I'll need to pray for a particular person or whatever. And so I'll, uh, sometimes I'll just lay there and pray. Sometimes I'll actually get up and pray. I'll, get, I'll, I'll kneel by my bed or, or kneel somewhere else. And, and I'll just pray that, that God would, would do something, that God would change somebody. And it might be that I would pray for my wife or my son or I'd pray for, for a, a friend or whatever it is that God has for me to pray for at that moment that he's burdened my heart with, that he's wakened my heart. And, and sometimes it's just to listen to him. Go to the next one. But you notice it was morning. It says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word I hope. There's the idea of bringing in the word of God there in that time. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman. He repeats that. More than the watchman for the morning. In the morning, the watchman's watching. He's watching to see, is the enemy going to come? Is it time to attack? Do I need to blow the trumpet? And in this case, he says, my soul waits for the Lord, just like that, with that kind of alertness, that kind of attentiveness. The next one in Psalm 143, let the morning, I love this one, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. Pray that. Pray that. Let the, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. So there's those ideas of some of the passages about the morning. But then go to the next one. Ah, those night owls, you're going, oh, now this is my verse right here. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up my hands as the evening sacrifice. So there's the imagery of the evening sacrifice that would happen before the sun went down. And so this idea of, of that was a time when he would uh, uh, lift up his hands, lift them up in prayer, lift them up in worship. Then the next one, at midnight, oh, so for those who are really night owls, this is your verse, at midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules, your righteous law, your righteous word. The next one, arise, cry out in the night, at the beginning of the night, watches, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. So there's that evening prayer idea and this idea in Lamentations where he's saying that, that he's praying at that time. And you see Daniel praying morning, noon, and night. And so you, you'll have those who say, well, I pray in the morning. Well, I pray in the evening. Well, I pray morning, noon, and night. Oh, yeah, well, you know, very godly person, aren't you? Uh, and uh, humble, too. And so 
But here's the idea. Here's why we do this. Isaiah 40, he, who give, he gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly. So how, what do you do about all of that? Well, then he tells us, here's what you do about that. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength, right? And then he goes on and tells us the blessings of waiting on the Lord. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, you know, we, my cell phone gets more attention of recharging than I do because I plug this in every night, right? But do I plug into the Lord every day or every evening, right? And so all of a sudden it humbles us. We think, wow, I don't do that. I need that. That Jesus is my wall outlet, if you will. And please don't make a shirt with that on there. Uh, <laughs> Jesus is my wall outlet. No, he's, but he's the one that we wait for, that we plug into, where we're going to have strength when we don't have strength, that will give us uh, energy when we feel flat, that will be the one that gives us the joy that we desire and that we long for. And Jesus, understanding this, in the middle of a busy time, didn't blow it off. He rose very early in the morning while it was still dark. The word early there in the Greek carries the idea of three to six in the morning. Now for me, it would be closer to six o'clock, right? <laughs> but he said very early, so it's probably at the other end of the spectrum. He probably rose at three o'clock in the morning. He could have slept in, but he knew he's had a busy time ahead of him. He knew that there were things that were going to be happening as a result of, of, of not only this busy day that he had, he was getting ready to head into a busy day. It says, and, in the verse 40, so another connective, and a leper came to him. So he heals this leper. And then it goes into chapter 2, and, and after some days, he returned to Capernaum after some days. So here in this week, he knows he's getting ready to call Levi. We see in verse 13 of chapter 2. Levi was a guy who um, was a tax collector. We know him as Matthew. A tax collector. Which meant he was going to be uh, a guy that would be seen by most Jews as a traitor to the Jewish nation. So he's inviting a traitor to the Jewish nation to be one of his disciples. Don't you think he would receive some pushback on that? He knew he needed to cling to the Father in the midst of the busyness and invite the Father to be involved in what he was doing and what was going on. In verse 36 it says, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, that idea, that word search carries the idea in the original Greek, carries the idea that they were kind of ticked off at him, that they were put out with him, that there was an urgency about it. Because, I mean, after all, uh, when you look at what happened, he says, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. So as the sun goes down, all the people begin to bring their, bring their people that, that need healing. They do it because they, uh, 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 the Sabbath is now over. That's why they showed up in the evening. They, uh, uh, they didn't want to violate the Sabbath uh, and get in trouble like, you know, Jesus was doing with the Pharisees and Sadducees. So they come in the evening. It goes late into the night. He gets up early to pray. 
They're panicked about where he's going, thinking that he's made a mistake. People are already lining up at Peter's door, I guarantee you. Now notice the pressure that, that mounts here. If you just read it quickly, you miss this. They are urgently looking for him. People are lining up. Can imagine in your mind a father with one of his kids standing at Peter's door. The disciples are they're saying, "Where's Jesus? We need. I need you to heal. I need him to heal this my child." Peter goes, "I'll, I'll be right back. I'll go find him and I'll bring him back." You can imagine Peter saying something like that. He goes off, finds Jesus. Hey. Everyone is looking for you, translated me, and I'm looking for you because I can't heal all these people, and I know you can't. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns. What? That's not what you expect from Jesus. You expect him to come back and to heal this next guy in line and the next one and the next one and spend his day healing people again the next day. But he knew what he was about. He knew that he didn't come to heal everybody. There are going to be people that will be sick. Even after he left, even after he died. He says, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. For this is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. He came to teach the word. And he, he knew that they weren't valuing the word. They weren't valuing that the, that the word of God was the most important thing. Because when they're showing up at Peter's door, all they're thinking is, I need healing here. And Jesus is saying, you know, I, I have compassion. In fact, that's why he healed and, and why he did the things that he did. But he, but, but he said, that's not why I came I came to preach a message. That message is a message of salvation. Because their spiritual lives are more important than even their physical life. This is why I came. It's so easy for us in life to let other people schedule our lives for us and schedule what's important. I remember somebody talking about how we let others schedule our lives for us. And, and this, this, this guy came up and he says, well, I need this, I need to do this. I need, and it's why, because these people are, are demanding this of me. They're expecting this of me. And, and uh, the guy said, so let me see if I understand this correctly. You're going to let other people make the most important decisions of your life for you. And then you're going to be content with making the small decisions about life. That was so convicting to me when I heard that. When I heard that guy share that, and I, and, I, and I was like, wow, he's right. I do that too. Just like that person he's talking about, I do that. In Galatians 1.10, it says, or am I still trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. If I'm going to live my life for Christ, it means that I need to spend time with him. And let him change me from the inside out. And whether it's in the morning or whether it's in the evening, that I make a commitment to that. That we make a commitment to that. That, that daily, at some point in the day, that we're going to have this time with the Lord. And it may, it may mean that there is a day or two that we miss because we're exhausted or whatever. But, but that we take that seriously and we don't let the busyness of days cause us to say, oh, I don't have time today. 
but that we spend time with him because in his presence is fullness of joy and he's the one that we want to invite to come in and he gives our lives meaning and purpose and he's the one that gives us the peace that passes understanding and he's the one that changes us from the inside out and that we make time for him because a habit breeds a character breeds a destiny and our eternal life, our eternal destiny, thankfully, is, is taken care of in, in the person of Jesus when we believe on him. But that day-to-day and how we end up in this life, spending time with him is going to keep the saw sharp, is going to keep us restored, rested, refreshed, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, in so many other ways. That we take this time and we just be with him and let him transform us. And when we do, the things that are on his heart will become things on our heart. The th- his thoughts will become our thoughts. His ways will become our ways. And we'll begin to pray for people. I know that one of the things that I r- realized was that I hadn't written down any names. I've been talking about it for four weeks and I had some mo- names in mind. And I was praying for some people I thought about the fact that 85% of the things I write down, I do. Just the process of writing down a plan, 85% of the time, you're going to do it. And so today, I, this morning, I thought, I need to write down. And so I wrote down some of the names I'd been thinking about. And I was like, wow, I've, I've got more than five. I've got six or seven. I've got a couple more that I want to add. And what you'll find is, is as you begin to pray for people, more and more people come to mind. That you think, gosh, this one's an important one too. I don't want to leave this one out. And you begin to develop the heart of Christ, heart of compassion that God wants you to have. And then when you have that heart of compassion, you're going to have this this fullness of joy because you're in his presence. And when you talk to other people, they're going to sense that in you. That, wow, this person really loves Christ. He, He really or she's really close to him. And there'll be an excitement in your life. And you won't be doing a quiet time because you should or must or have to but because you want to and you can't wait to be alone with the Lord and that means that we'll begin to pray for five it means that we'll begin to seek him and we'll be rewarded by him as Hebrews eleven six talks about it means that we'll believe that the harvest truly is plenteous even though sometimes we wonder about that and we take take it by faith It means that we include the word of God because we know that that we're going to bear fruit as we looked at in Psalm 1. And now as we look at this passage today, we realize don't let the busyness of life crowd out your time with the Lord. Don't let the, make this a, a fundamental thing that you do, a fundamental part of your life, that it's a default in your life that you always go to and not just a secondary thing or a hobby that you have, but that, you're, that Jesus isn't your hobby. He's, he's your main focus and it will change you. You'll never be the same. And you'll be used by him to be fruitful in ways that you never, ever could imagine. Father, we come to you today and we pray that you would change us. That you would help us to realize how important it is to spend time simply with you. And how that time spent with you bears great fruit in our lives. Not only for advancing the kingdom of God, but changing us restoring us when we're tired 
when we're weary, when we need strength, that you are the one that recharges us and you give us strength and, and you change us like Isaiah 40 talks about. Lord, we want that in our lives. I know that many here are tired or exhausted from life. Lord, I pray that we, every day we would take these many vacations away from life and toward you and that you would restore us, that you would rebuild in us, that you would, as we sang about, tune our hearts to your frequency, tune our hearts to sing your praise. We love you and we worship you today. And we praise your name in Jesus' precious name. Amen.